Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Today, as we begin a new series called Deep Roots, I want to hold before your mind the picture of a rainforest. Not the 30,000 foot view where you're staring down on top of the canopy, but picture yourself in the rainforest. You're seeing these huge chunks of uh, trunks of trees and everything is dark. Now, imagine a tree falls and light all of a sudden breaks through a hole in the canopy, touching a part of the forest floor that has not seen light in probably hundreds of years. And all of a sudden a race begins. All the vegetation there is like, oh, we need the sunlight. And so first, maybe you see some broad-leafed plants spread out their wide leaves to capture as much sunlight to get ahead. But then after a little while, as we're watching the time-lapse of the forest, these skinny plants shoot their trunks delicately past the broad-leaf plants, and they shoot out tiny leaves. It's this quick, rapid growth And you might think, oh, that's really impressive. That's amazing. These plants are going to win the race to occupy the canopy. But then all of a sudden the vines come and the vines are predatorial. They, They grow up on the structure of those existing plants and eventually choke them out. And then all is quiet and it seems as though the vines have won. But then all of a sudden, seemingly from out of nowhere, a thick trunk bursts through that low-hanging vegetation. And it grows, and soon it's quickly become twice the size of all those other plants, and and eventually 10 times the size, and eventually it occupies that space in the canopy. You see, what happened was, is while all the other plants were racing for the sunlight, that tree went underground. It dug roots. It put roots down to access water and nutrients in order to thrive in the long run. Now, the fundamental contention of this series called Deep Roots is that in the changing social landscape in which we live, and let's be honest, our culture isn't just slowly moving away from God. That's happened. That train has left the station. We're going to explore a bit of that today, but in our changing social landscape, What we as the church and as followers of Jesus need more than anything is the cultivation of deep roots in Jesus. As it says in Psalm 1, as we already read, that the person who is blessed and follows in the way of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water. That's God's desire for us. And it's the same kind of moment as we are in this changing social landscape. It's the same kind of moment we're actually going to enter into in the biblical story today. So I invite you to have a Bible as we get into Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And if you're using one of the blue pew Bibles, you can find that on page 719. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 to verse 20. And I invite us to give ears, uh, give ear because what we are about to hear is the word of the Lord. In Daniel 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off into the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure of the house of his God. 
Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from his table. They were to be trained for three years and after they were to enter into the king's service. Now among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine and they were to drink uh, and what they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Living God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us. The same Spirit who inspired these inscriptured words, would you now come and illumine our hearts and our minds to receive what you have to give us today, to see what you have to show us, to stand under your word and be transformed by you. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment you were in Daniel's situation. Utter tragedy has struck. You have lost everything. Your city has been sacked. The temple of God has been pillaged. Even the articles in the temple have now been taken into the temples of foreign gods. How would you be feeling? How would you be feeling? In captivity, they've tried to erase your identity. Uh, they've tried to make you a Babylonian. They've, they're teaching you Babylonian ways. They've even renamed you. You're no longer Daniel. You're, you're Belteshazzar. I, I mean, other than the fact that Daniel's just a better name than Belteshazzar, you'd probably be feeling pretty low right now, right? How would you view yourself? 
How would you respond to such adversity? That's what I want us to consider today. How does Daniel and his friends respond? Do they retreat into fear and despair? Do they lie down? Do do they fold their hand? Do they rage and rebel against the injustice of it all, of the fact that they now find themselves as a minority in a culture that does not acknowledge or fear their God? You see, in the midst of loss and marginalization, these four teenagers, because that's what they were, teenagers, they find ways to live faithfully and creatively to Yahweh with all kinds of pressures uh, to go along with the fashions of Babylonian spirituality. My contention is, is that they respond as a creative minority. A creative minority. And I think there is a word here for us today as the church in the times in which we live. In his book, Disappearing Church, Mark Sayers makes this observation. He says that when new social landscapes emerge, no matter how challenging they may be, they present an opportunity for the church to flourish. And with the leading of the Holy Spirit for it to birth new movements, leaders, churches, and creative minorities, as we face our cultural moment today, I think we need to begin to view ourselves along these lines. Not retreating into despair, not trying to rage and rebel, but seeing ourselves as a creative minority for Jesus within society. And therein lies great hope and great opportunity for us to bear faithful and creative witness to him. So today we're going to consider two features of what we see in the creative minority in Daniel and and what it means for us to live as a creative minority with deep roots. So first, uh, it's really obvious. Daniel and his friends have faith in the sovereign God. They have faith in the sovereign God. Now this is actually the central claim of the book of Daniel. It's shouted at us from every single page. Uh, The point of Daniel is not that Daniel and his friends are, are such great humans and we should all try to be like them. The point of Daniel is that God is sovereign. Sovereign, that's a word you might not use very much or or hear very much in culture, it basically means God is in control. That there is the world and realm of human affairs, right, and authorities. But over that, God is present and at work. He is sovereign and he is in control. So check out verse one in your Bible. What do you notice? It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Okay, we've got the realm of human affairs going on here. Then check out verse two. It says, and the Lord delivered him into his hands. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into his hands. Isn't that interesting? I thought Nebuchadnezzar took him. No, it's the Lord who delivered him. It's interesting to note that the word Lord here actually is the title Adonai, which means sovereign Lord. It's referring to God's control over the authorities of the world. So we have authority, we have governments, we have structures and powers, but over it all, God is there even if they do not acknowledge him. And you see this all over the chapter in the book of, in the book of Daniel. I mean, in verse nine, what did you notice? It said that God gave. 
God gave Daniel favor with the official. In verse 17, it said, God gave Daniel and his friends knowledge and understanding. This text is telling us, friends, God is sovereign. God is present and at work in our world even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it. He is at work. And this truth is so crucial for us because as we consider the question, you know, how do we view ourselves today in our cultural moment as Christians following Jesus, we actually first need to ask, how do we view God? Who is God in himself? What's he like? What is he up to in the world? We can't answer the question about who we are until we first turn our eyes to God. And what did this do for Daniel and his friends? This knowledge, this faith of God as sovereign actually made Daniel and his friends do a very surprising thing. They refused the royal food. And yes, this is probably the first and last time teenagers have refused food. I mean, picture it. They've lost everything. They've been dragged into Babylon. They have been uh, shown the king's table, right? Good meat. That's like the king's surf and turf. Filet mignon laid out before you. And you might think, oh, you know, guys, it seems like God has abandoned you. Just make the most of a horrible situation. Eat the food. And they don't. In verse 8, it says that Daniel resolved, he set his heart and mind to not defile himself with the royal food. You see, did you notice how Daniel drew a line there? He drew a line in the sand and he said, I will not go beyond this. Now, just a bit of background for you. Uh, Daniel and his, his Jewish friends had dietary food laws and so probably some of the food that was being set before them was like bacon, delicious bacon, but they couldn't eat it. But second of all, this food in the Babylonian Empire would have been first offered to pagan gods at the temple. I mean, ancient temples in those days, it was like church in the butcher shop, all wrapped into one. And so you'd go to the temple, you'd offer your meat, they'd take a portion of your meat and offer it to the gods, and you'd take it home and you'd feast on it. And so in that way, it was also unclean. But there's actually a deeper thing going on here. Daniel isn't just, you know, blindly following rules. On a deeper level, this was a matter of his allegiance. This was a matter of who do I belong to? Who do we belong to? As one commentator notes, he said, Daniel does not refuse uh, the training of the king or the use of a new name, right? He, He didn't refuse those, but he draws the line at the eating of the king's food because it is a public declaration of dependency on the king. You see, Daniel drew the line on this issue because it was about his allegiance, his loyalty. It was about declaring who he belonged to, who he was ultimately loyal to. And it was their way of saying, we don't belong to Nebuchadnezzar. We belong to Yahweh. That's where they drew the line. But I also want to draw your attention to how they drew the line. So they draw the line, but how do they do it? Again, they don't rage and rebel. They do it so creatively. Look in verse eight. 
He, he doesn't just say, oh, I'm just not gonna do it. I'm not even gonna tell the official. He asks the official. He opens his mind to this pagan official and he asks him. And then the official shares his fear. He's like, yo, Daniel, this is my head on the line here. I'm not feeling very comfortable with this arrangement. And so Daniel has the idea, okay, just test us. Test us for 10 days and let's see what happens. It's this creative solution. And, and all over the book of Daniel, you can see that Daniel doesn't adopt a posture that he is against the people of Babylon. In fact, later in the book of Daniel, he saves the lives of all the magicians, all the enchanters in Babylon through the wisdom that God gives him in showing the king his dream. Daniel is for the city that God has placed him in. And we need to see that. He sees himself with his friends as a creative minority and God comes through. He comes through. They're healthier and better nourished than all the others. Now, we have a very big challenge today because we live and work and breathe in a world that seems to have no room for divine presence and action. Like I said, it's not just that our culture is slowly turning away from God. I honestly think that in a lot of ways, culture has pushed God out of the way they see the world. Right In Toronto or whatever city it is you live in, the outlook of culture just doesn't take you seriously. If you should talk about God or spiritual forces, right? people's eyes kind of roll or glaze over and they're like, oh boy, here we go. Philosophers have actually noted that people today live what is within what is called an imminent frame. That's our contemporary challenge. It's an imminent frame. Let me explain that because that's it's kind of a complicated word. What it means is that we in the West, in the secular West, have been so occupied. We become occupied with that which is immediate, that which is now, and that which is near, and we live in the hyper-present and it doesn't leave any room for divine presence and action. You see this in the, in the spiritual fashions of today, right? If there is spirituality, it's not the journey of, you know, discovering the immensity of the God who created us and redeemed us. It's, it's actually the small interior quest to discover your authentic self. That's the air we breathe in the world today. This is a challenge we face as the church. And one of the effects of sin in our world is, is to push God out of the frame, even the frame of spirituality. And we need to wonder, I think, and, and I need to wonder and pause and ask myself, are there any ways I have yielded to the imminent frame? Are there any ways that I've allowed my vision to obscure the glory and grandeur of the creator God and, and that I've become so preoccupied with the immediate, with my image, with my happiness, with whatever rings true to me, with the device that just glows at me so often that I give access to my attention probably too often, right? What about you? As disciples of Jesus, the call is to be formed and shaped by Jesus. And as we do that today, we actually need to recognize that culture is also seeking to disciple us and form us. And I think if we're honest, and if I'm honest, I would say, yes, I am absolutely influenced by this. I am absolutely influenced by a view of the world that would seek to minimize God's presence and activity 
Absolutely, maybe in small ways, maybe in big ways. But if that's you this morning, let's take the opportunity to turn back to Jesus, to repent. I mean, I'm so thankful for our time in worship because just even being in the beauty of music and the sense of majesty that we are part of something bigger, that, that helps shake us up, right? It helps bring us out of that frame of imminence. Now I want to talk about the second feature of the creative minority. The first feature is that they have faith in a sovereign God. The second feature is that they engage in personal encounter with God. If there is anything that is going to break us out of, of the prison of the imminent frame. It, it's not, um, you know, winning arguments. Uh, it's, it's not, you know, really being convinced, um, you know, on a human level. The way we break out of that is actually a gift of God and a gift of his grace. Uh, he needs to show himself to us and we need to encounter him personally. We need to encounter him personally. Now, this is a feature that is not immediately obvious in our chapter today of Daniel, but later in Daniel chapter six, we learn this. We learn that Daniel had a rhythm of prayer and encounter. It says in Daniel six, three times a day, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And this habit of prayer was actually what got Daniel into trouble in the first place because Daniel was rising in his influence and power. Uh, Daniel was uh, put in positions of privilege and all the other officials in Babylon, they became really jealous and they said, you know, that can put a target on your back, right? And so they aimed their arrows at him and they convinced the king to get him to pass a decree that nobody could pray to anyone else for 30 days but King the, the, the king who was reigning at that time. And they knew, right? This Daniel guy, he, he's kind of obsessed with his God. He's not gonna stop. And so they caught him and he's thrown in the lion's den. And again, God comes through to him. Daniel saw the value of prayer. He saw the value of his encounter with God. I mean, he was willing to risk his life for that. While everybody else was racing for power and influence, he went underground and he dug his roots deep into his God. Friends, that's our great need. That's our great need. As we head into the fall as a church, as we look around and see all the things that churches are trying to do and, and new ways of engaging, I want to say that stuff is all good, but our core strategy is to go deep in Jesus that he might transform you and I into his image and that we might live radiantly for him, sharing his love. That's what this is all about. And there is such good news here because as I talk about prayer and encounter, maybe some of you are feeling a bit uncomfortable. Like prayer is like this foreign thing. And I kind of do it sometimes or I bow my head in church. But guess what? The way into prayer, the way into encounter is wide open. Why? Because Jesus has come, he has died, and he has risen. Jesus came to bring us into the presence of our good and holy God. He has done away with everything that separates us from God. He's, do he's done away with our sin, our alienation and hostility, and our ignorance, and we need to continue to repent of those things, taking seriously the accomplished work on the cross. 
Because as I talk about deep roots in this series, I do not want you to hear me saying or anyone else saying, there are some deep Christians and there are some not so deep Christians, right? There are Christians who really got it. They're really awesome. They're elite. And then there's the rest of us. No, 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 no. We all have the same access to God through Jesus Christ. I all but broke down when we sang, Jesus forever is my plea. Jesus is our plea. And we are invited into him. In Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Brothers and sisters, you've gained access. Jesus has brought you into access where you can encounter the living God. The question is not whether I have access or not. The question is, am I entering in to that access? Am I entering into the access that was dearly bought for me? I want you to consider the question, how might your life look different? If every day, instead of scrambling for power and influence to get into the busyness of the day, if every day before you did that, you went underground, you dug your roots into Jesus, you prayed, you encountered him. How might that change your life? And it doesn't have to be long. I mean, we, we hear the stories of like heroes of the faith like Martin Luther who prayed for three hours in the morning. It's like, Martin Luther, I've got four kids. I am just not able to do that. Take 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be long. God can work within the limitations and the responsibilities that present themselves to us. And he's longing to do so. Brian and Abby, as you guys start the day, you have the benefit, you know, uh, there's one of him and two of you so far. (laughs) Give each other that time. You can serve one another in that way, right? Give each other that time. Whatever your circumstances, whether you have one kid or four kids, whether you're single, married, or widowed, this is for all of us. Jesus invites us into the depths of who he is to encounter God in in the quiet stillness of prayer, to have our minds renewed in the reality that God is present, that God is at work even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. Let's enter in not out of guilt, but in excitement to meet this Jesus, to know this Jesus more because he's so good to us. This will empower us to live creatively and faithfully for Jesus as a creative minority today. I want to invite the worship team to come back onto the stage and as we wrap up this message, I actually want to invite each one of you to engage in a practical exercise. I've been talking about the reality of the sovereign God, how this big, huge God actually wants to encounter us and has made the way open through Jesus Christ. Well, why don't we invite him to speak to us here now? Why don't we open our hearts to him and ask him to speak Maybe one question you'd want to ask him is, Jesus, how do you want me to put down deep roots in you today, this week? Let's sit with a few moments in quiet prayer and listen to him.
Let me pray. Will you pray with me, Lord Jesus? We thank you that you are alive, you have risen, and you are at work. Thank you that in and through you and in the power of your spirit, we have access to the triune God of grace, to live in eternal love with you now and forever. Jesus, we turn back to you. We repent of the ways that we have pushed you out of our frame. Would you break through in this encounter? And would you draw us into encounter, uh, both as we gather and as we scatter and live as your church in the city of Toronto? Help us to see ourselves as a creative minority, empowered by your spirit, living with an incredible hope in who you are and what you're doing in the world in such a time as this, even when the valley may seem dark. Lord Jesus, come, continue to lead us as we respond with a song of worship. We pray in your mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.